welcome everybody to this episode of Spiritual Unity. I am deeply honored to have with me today Neelam. Neelam is the direct disciple of Sri Hari Lal Punji, also fondly known as Papaji. Neelam visited India around the early 1990s when she experienced her ultimate truth beside her Guru Papaji. Neelam facilitates satsangs and workshops to help others recognize their own truth. Neelam ji, thank you so much, so much for taking our time. I am so deeply grateful for you to do this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yes, thank you. So, uh, Neelam ji, I'm going to start with the first question. Uh, you traveled to India in the early 1990s. Did you know about Papaji then? Why did you come to India? Or was it an accidental meeting? Did you have something that was already kind of bubbling within you? You know, that's a little bit of a long story. I'm going to try to make it short <laughs> because it's a long, <laughs> long story. But, you know, uh, before, before I met Papaji, I was with another teacher, um, Mother Mira. Mm -hmm. for maybe a couple of years, two or three years. And uh, while being with mother, I would sit in these long, long meditations um, that were very blissful, you know. And yet when I will get up from those meditations, I will experience extreme suffering. And so I was living in this dichotomy of, you know, on the one hand, I could sit for hours in bliss, on the other hand, when I wasn't sitting in bliss, in meditation, I would be suffering. And so at some point, you know, I remember lying down and this thought arose within me and said, I want to meet somebody who can show me what is beyond this. You know, who can show me what is beyond this dichotomy of bliss and suffering. And very soon after that, you know, somebody brought a flyer to uh, where I was living to satsang with Gangaji. Gangaji is a disciple of Papaji. And, and I read the information and I thought, you know, she's a Western woman. She hasn't lived in a monastery. She hasn't done, you know, like lifetime of practice. You know, that sounded all very interesting. And so I went to see her. And, you know, the love and spaciousness that I experienced while I was there in satsang was initially so scary that I actually decided not to go back, right? And so, you know, luckily at that time she was traveling and she was uh, staying about a month in one place. So, so we had several satsangs. So it took me a few days, but then finally, you know, the inner curiosity took over and I actually went to see her again. And while I was there, you know, I had this experience of my mind just dropping and just dropping into bliss and space and, and spaciousness and, you know, presence. And so, and then I have written a letter to her about this. She invited me to sit with her and read that letter to everybody. And, you know, while I was sitting there, I could see this, you know, incredible ocean of love. And then I stayed in the satsang for a little bit. And at some point while I was in satsang, I suddenly became aware of the picture of her teacher, Papaji, that was all this time standing behind, uh, uh, you know, beside her, but I really didn't really 
really didn't notice it, you know, and at some point I noticed it and I realized this is my teacher and I have to go to India to, to meet him. And so, you know, then there was still a little bit like this was clear, you know, but there was still a little bit of hesitation, you know, different thoughts started coming like, well, you know, I'm still, I didn't have, I didn't do this in life and I didn't do that in life and maybe I should do some other things before, you know, doing that. And that night, Papaji came in a dream and he was very young in a dream. So at first I wasn't, you know, clear that there was Papaji and he, he gave me a yellow rose and he said, cut through the dream, cut through the dream. Cut through the dream. Uh -huh. Cut through the dream, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, six months later, I was in satsang with Papaji in India. You know, and uh, before that, when I was, you know, in the beginning uh, of the 90s, that, that was about 95, 94, 95, but in the beginning of the 90s, I had this series of very powerful, you know, dreams that were foretelling the future that always has been happening to me. So in those dreams, I had a dream that I will meet this woman and that I would trust her completely and she would give me that injection and then I would trust her completely you know, which was the meeting with Gangaji. And then, you know, I realized Papaji is my teacher. So, so that's how I ended up in India. You know, I was there because I knew I had to be there. So, so he did call you. There was a call. <laughs> there was, a, you know, what I find is that when there is a true desire for truth and freedom, mm -hmm. when the desire for freedom arises in presence then you know uh, existence responds to that right or consciousness responds to that you know and the moment there was that desire there was satsang and there was papaji you know right so that was very very clear yeah and uh, you know i mean i have uh, i uh, stumbled upon papaji's videos on youtube it was really accidental you're not going to believe it i had never heard of him you know and uh, living in india i hadn't heard of him and uh, because i suppose i wasn't really interested in the non dual parts so it was not my stream of consciousness at all and he just popped up on my videos and here i was it's like oh what a sweet old grandpa looking man and he's like you know smiling <laughs> and, <laughs> And he made it look so easy. And I was hooked on to his uh, videos and books. And uh, so can you tell us what was your first meeting with him like? Is that like when you first experienced, had your first experience? But you seem to be already carrying a sense of, you know, the non-identification when you went, unlike a lot of people. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I want to say to what you said, you know, no accident, you know, Papaji or satsang or that teaching doesn't show up by accident. It really shows up in response to your desire for truth. So you say accidentally, you know, accidentally I went to a store way before I met Papaji and I found Ramana's book and Ramana's picture and I just got mesmerized by Ramana. And we can say accidentally, right? But it really isn't accidentally, right? Mm -hmm. That there really is that response already, you know? So, so meeting Papaji, you know, I met him first in the, public satsang and that was you know unbelievable experience 
because it's like, you know, I always said it's like Star Trek, you know, like, uh, you know, something that is unbelievable and yet it's real. It actually exists, you know, mm. like seeing Papaji, being in his presence, it seemed to be so otherworldly and yet there he was and it was happening and was extremely amazing and powerful. You know, and yet in the beginning in satsang, and I often share that story, you know, in the beginning in satsang, I um, was really sitting back, you know, and expecting something to happen, right? I was sitting back, I will often say, you know, like, as if I was sitting with my, uh, with my arms crossed at front of my chest, and I was like waiting, you know, like, what is Papaji going to give me? Because I have ex had so many spiritual experiences before mm -hmm. coming to see Papaji. So there was a little bit of ego there, you know, sitting and like, well, you know, I have had all these experiences and what's going to happen here and nothing was happening, right? I mean, it was nice, it was beautiful, it was peaceful, but nothing was happening. And so finally I have written a letter to Papaji and I said, you know, I'm here, but one way on the shore, one foot on the shore, one foot in the ocean, you know, I'm not fully kind of here, you know, and he said, well, you came here to realize your true nature, you know, you can't be distracted by, you know, you, you're like a soap bubble, he said, like a little soap bubble, you know, there's all these colors and all these different things. You can't be distracted by that. You came here to know your true nature, you know. So, um, and then I was also called by another teacher who was in India at that time. And she asked for me to come and see her in satsang. And so I traveled to Rishikesh and I went and I sat in her satsang and I knew she's not my teacher. Mm. But when I was there, she was speaking about her devotion to her teacher. And she spoke about how she left her life behind, how she left her children behind in you know, how she came to India and how she followed her teacher, how she did everything with him and for him. And when I was listening to her, I realized, you know, here I am sitting with Papaji and, and I'm just waiting, you know, I'm not giving myself to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I went back to Lucknow, I just realized and decided that I have to give myself to everything that arises within, every impulse, no matter how silly it looks, no matter what, the mind thinks about it, I'm just going to completely give myself to it, you know, and that eventually, that is what led me to, to a moment of full trust and really to the, to awakening. You know, it's very beautiful how you speak about surrender. Um, like for a lot of people, um, if they don't have like a guru in the physical form, I mean, as it is, like you said, it's very difficult, even if you have a guru in the physical form to surrender because if we are not uh, used to, you know, losing control. So surrendering right. is, surrendering is a very alien concept for all of us, but especially like, you know, let's say you don't have a physical guru in front and a lot of people don't. And yes, you have like consciousness as your guru and will always guide you. Like you said, like if you have the intent, you'll get to be shown the right ways. But for somebody who doesn't have a physical guru, how how do you uh, you know propose the idea of surrender to them? 
because I think it's a very integral part you know, of the journey. Is, yeah, sure, sure. It's extremely important and there is a lot of misunderstanding, you know, and the, I used to think even more misunderstanding in the West, in the Western mind than in the Eastern mind, because, you know, in the West, there's even more emphasis on individuality and individual mm -hmm. and the importance of individual, you know, and, you know, in India, at least everybody can talk about God, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different, even though there may be still challenges, right, but yeah. But then there's also misunderstanding, yeah, misunderstanding about surrender because people think surrender means I am, you know, giving up my power and I'm giving it to somebody else. And mm -hmm. that is a misunderstanding, right? Because, and that create, and also sometimes people believe, you know, surrender means certain outward actions. Like mm -hmm. we have to dress certain way or we have to eat certain foods or we have to, prostrate at front of our teacher well if you are you know propelled by your inner to prostrate at front of your teacher by all means right but there isn't any you know prescribed uh external way in which surrender shows up right surrender the true meaning of surrender is really the mind merging in the heart you see, that is the true meaning of surrender, right? <laughs> yes. You see, I, I understand you, like both theoretically and maybe uh, not just theoretically, but for somebody who is, let's say, you know, like I'm speaking of like, let's say, you know, the, the devil's advocate here, but somebody who hasn't crossed over, like where like, you know, consciousness is entirely seeped in. Um, how, how do you take the step? Like, because, you know, um, like you said, it's not something that you do. It's not in an action. Surrender is neither is it inaction, right? Because a lot of people can mistake it to be like, oh, if I've surrendered, like, you know, I'm going to sit down and do nothing on the journey. Sure, sure. But, you know, but then what I'm trying to say is that surrender is an inner movement rather than an outer movement, right? You know, we all have, you know, the, the teacher is not only outside because we need sometimes that outside manifestation of a teacher, you know, as a person or as a, you know, sometimes an object or a person, right? But really the teacher manifests on the inner. So the mm -hmm. teacher, the true teacher is already within and it is speaking to you on the inner. You know, most of the time we are just not used to following that, right? You know, and what I see throughout of my life, even though a lot of the time I wasn't even conscious that I was desiring truth and that I was following that path, I was really following that inner movement that was leading me, you know, like leading me here and leading me there and leading me to this teacher and leading me to sit in meditation and leading me to satsang and leading me to papaji you know what i mean yeah. so the more we can develop connection with the inner and that's a different kind of connection because it's different than listening to the mind right right and that's why you know when when you say some people don't have a teacher i say you know it in a way it is important to have a teacher uh, in the body because you know the teacher can help you clarify what is the mind and what is your inner you know 
And so we need to learn to listen to the inner and really follow that and trust that. Trust that more than we trust the mind. You see, because that's what surrender is. Surrender is not some idea. It's like moment by moment, what do we trust? Do we trust what arises on the inner? Do we trust the deeper sense that we know within, within your heart that you know that? Or do you trust the mind that comes in and says, well, this is silly and we can't do that. And this is really stupid. And what is it going to look like? And everybody's going to have, you know, nobody's going to like this and everybody's going to have an opinion. And we can set that aside and learn to trust that inner because that is what surrender is, right? That's yeah. how we learn to surrender, you know? Now, somebody, you know, who is like, um, you know, starting out on the journey, now, this concept uh, would be like, uh, who do I listen to? Because the ego mind is very strong, okay? It can play with a lot of like, you know, it can throw up an idea of surrender and then withdraw. You know, it can have uh, like a logic for everything. So as we move on, what you're saying is like, I get it like, you know, it's easier to differentiate between the inner voice and the egoic voice. But for somebody who is just starting out on the journey, what would you tell them? How do you identify that small voice? You know, the, the reason why they are starting out, if somebody is just starting out is because they are prompted from within. They might not realize that yet. You know, you might not realize that you are prompted from within. You think, well, you know, oh, it's a nice video. It's a nice this. It's a nice book. I'm just going to, you know, involve myself in it. But really the reason why you are even reaching for it is because you are prompted from within, right? And so I would encourage people even in the beginning to really spend quality time in quiet you know sometimes we have this misunderstanding of meditation like it's something we have to do and there's this thing and then we do it this way or we do it that way mm -hmm. but spend quality time in quiet introspection quiet looking within so that you can start noticing things you know that you can start noticing like oh there's, I, I really have an interest in this. And there's something that calls me towards that. There's something that draws me towards that and become curious about it, you know, become interested in it and become curious. Like, what is that? What is that movement? Where does it come from? How come I'm really interested in that, right? Because yeah. that is going to eventually that quiet introspection that's going to grow into more and more ability to discriminate, right? To discern between the mind and between who we really are or the true teacher within, right? Right. Now, you know, I'm going to, you know, use, use this beautiful phrase, which Papaji told you in your dream, cut through the dream, okay? Now, when you read yes. these books or you see these videos or like, you know, it seems so, so simple. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's just there, but it is not that simple. Right. I mean, so um, let's say if you say like, OK, let's, uh, you know, be aware of the mind movements or watch the mind. Now, the first thing that often happens is when you're turning inwards, um, there is the mind watching awareness. OK, so there is still a mind activity. Like when I look at awareness, there is initially, there is a small eye that is looking back at the mind, uh, looking back at awareness, 
right? And, you know, after a point, uh, there can be a very uh, peaceful space, even like where the mind is watching awareness. And you know, there can be a misconception or like, you know, this is it, which can happen where like the mind slowly settles in and there's just the mind watching awareness. There is the turn into awareness has not happened. And that can be a stage that goes on for a long time. Another thing that often ha happens, and this I've, you know, like I've heard Osho talk about a lot. He says, you know, when the mind is watching awareness, Okay, that mind can fragment itself up to 200 pieces watching itself again, and then comes it becomes like just another egoic mind. So this awareness practice, how do we, you know, keep solidifying it? You know, that's why when I teach, you know, I hear what you are saying. It's, it's first of all, you say it's, it seems to so simple. And I often say it is very simple, but it's not easy right? Mm -hmm. It's extremely simple. There's nothing complicated about this, but it's not easy. And it's not easy because of the habits of the past, right? That's the reason why we are here and even have to really look for truth because habits, habits of the past are so strong, you know, and we, right. you know, the habits of the past have taken over. So, so, you know, so it's very simple, but it's not easy, right? And that's why when I teach, you know, I, first of all, I start most of the time with a very, what I call the direct experience of presence, which is a way to really drop into presence itself, you know, bypass the mind and drop into presence itself so that everybody knows what is the experience of it within. You know, we have to know that, right? We have to have the actual experience. And, you know, actually everybody knows it, but most people don't recognize it for what it is. Think, oh yeah, well, I had a nice moment and it was so quiet and oh, I watched the sunset and it was so beautiful, you know, and my heart opened. But we don't realize that these glimpses are really actually our true nature, right? So, you know, direct experience of presence is one really important thing, right? To, to have, to, to know the difference between, you know, what you call the little mind or the eye or the mind watching awareness and to know the difference between that and the difference between actually knowing your true nature, right? So in your experience, uh, how, what is it for you? You know, like, how do you experience that? Do you know that direct experience of presence or? or? I would say there've been glimpses. I mean, it comes, I, it's wrong to say it comes, it's there. It's more like, you know, there are times the mind is quieter. It doesn't drop, but it's quieter. So there is this sense, a sense of, you know, spaciousness or whatever you call it. And then the mind comes back in again. And this is the problem with the mind because it needs something exciting all the time. So, you know, even when the spaciousness, it's looking after a point, it's looking either to hang on to it or it's looking for something, okay, now what next? And that's where it's ruined. So. Right, 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 right. And that spaciousness, that's that's our true nature, right? And, and when you say, you know, it comes and goes, what you actually mean is our that our attention is not at rest, right? Yeah. Like your attention is not at rest. The, the pr presence is always here. Yes. Our true nature is always here. But our attention comes and goes, right? The attention moves, you know what I mean? So when the attention moves, 
it looks like presence is not here, even though it's always here, right? And when you say, you know, the problem with the mind, the mind always needs something interesting, you know, mind, what we have to remember is mind is an object that arises in presence, in our true mm. nature. So inherently, there is no problem with the mind, you see. Mind itself is not a problem, right? You know, we have to really realize that because otherwise you're going to be, you or anybody, we're going to be at war with the mind. Right. We're going to want to, you know, control the mind or we want to be, for the mind to be more quiet or for the mind to not to do certain things. And that wanting it to be different, that's actually going to make the mind stronger, you see. Right. So we have to realize that mind is just an object that arises in present. And so inherently, there is no problem with the mind, right? The only problem is that our attention moves when the mind arises. You see, your attention moves. This object or that object, it doesn't matter, right? But mind is just an object, right? So the mind arises and our attention moves. So if we realize that, you see, then we can learn to bring our attention back to presence, right? Bring your attention back to presence. But we have to realize it's not because the mind is the problem, it's because our attention is not at rest, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't, mind arises, that's okay, no problem, you know, let's have it. Thoughts are here, feeling, sensation, emotion, whatever, it doesn't matter. But where is our attention, right? And this, this, this can become, you know, if, if I speak about practice, I, of course, don't speak about practicing presence because we are presence. But when I speak about practice, I speak about training of your attention, right? You know, you could try yeah. it right now, you know, just see that your attention can go inward, right? It can, beautiful, you see? It can go and just rest and taste this. And then the habit is when something arises, the attention wants to go there, but the arising is not a problem, right? It's just, right. oh, can I bring my attention back here, right? You know, and that can become a, a practice, you know, practice. You know what I mean? That we can learn, we can learn, we can teach our attention to uh, rest more in presence, right? I hope I'm answering your question why, <laughs> when yes, I'm yes, talking yes. this. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I had, uh, you know, something that crossed my mind, uh, not crossed my mind right now, but so once one gets like you, like you very beautifully put it, it's not the mind, I mean, uh, that is the problem. It's that attention is not there. We keep like, you know, fluctuating with our, uh, you know, attention. Uh, do you know to take it through the day when we are doing work where there is a lot of mind oriented stuff like if I have to you know fix an appointment with you I need to have my mind at play there how sure. Sure. does one keep plugging in to that you know like bringing attention back in there because sometimes like I can give you one example when I'm driving it's a very natural thing for me to like you know the mind becomes calmer I do fall into like a space like, you know, which is uh, more uh, in the present moment, but there is also like a, you know, like a, 
sometimes even the danger of when you're falling into a lull because the mind is all still there present working and it's like a beautiful space like so it tends to you know there is a dullness also that creeps in you know the mind um is useful in certain ways right when you say we like when you have to make an appointment when we have to schedule things when we have to plan yeah. for things that's what the mind is good for. So we don't want to really, you know, suppress or avoid, right? This is, you know, we are living in a world, we are not living in a monastery, we are householders, we have responsibilities. So we use the mind when it's useful, right? But then when it's not useful, we want, when it's not needed, when it's not necessary, we want to learn to rest more in our true nature. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, I remember even before meeting Papaji, you know, and that must have been a residue of some past lives practices because I wasn't really introduced to anything early this life. You know, I had a habit of just bringing the mind back. I mean, bringing my attention back here. Whenever mm. the mind would arise and it wanted to engage itself with anything, I would say, okay, not interested. Let's come back here, right? And that was my practice. You know, my practice was let's not move with the arising mind right you know uh, let's just simply keep bringing our attention to presence because then eventually you know eventually that what is our true teacher within is going to start to pull your attention inward right? and then mm -hmm. you know once you have done enough of this you know let's bring the attention back let's bring the intention back eventually it starts to pull on you from the inside right and then you know there is no problem anymore because then naturally you know that's that's what i say surrender really is the mind resting in the heart right but when you say driving you know it, it's kind of can be challenging because driving you need to pay attention right which is good which is normal but at the same time at the same time believe it or not you can bring your attention here you know, you can, right? Um, so it's all a question of practicing. You know, it's really honestly in the deeper sense, it's a question of desire for truth, right? It's a question of what is it that we really want, right? You know, and so often we don't even realize, you know, we don't even realize we are suffering. A lot of people think, well, suffering is just part normal, normal, you know, we don't realize at some point we go like, wow, we are suffering. Uh, then we say, is there something we can do about it? Right. And so really the question is of the desire for truth. Like, what is it that we really want? You see, do we want to keep going like this through these cycles of birth, life and death, just incarnation upon incarnation and just keep going, you know? Or do we want to know who we really are, right? And that desire for truth is going to drive your, because what was driving my willingness to just bring my attention here over and over and over and over again, it wasn't some idea I had, mm -hmm. but it was really an inner desire, an inner desire for peace, an inner desire for truth or inner desire for freedom, right? That was really what was driving that, you know, it wasn't just, you know, oh, I want to do this practice, you know, there, there was something else driving that, right? Right. 
You know, a um, lot of people like um, through the grace of the guru, which is something I've seen even like, you know, Papaji had the tremendous ability to create, a, you know, it was his aura and his energy that often brought about a change. I mean, obviously you have to be ready somewhere, but uh, they have a transformation when they're in front of the guru because the guru is that powerful to bring that change in. And, but that moment of bliss can also subside very quickly once they're away. Or there's another thing that happens because um, sometimes, you know, you are still like the, the ego doesn't come back in in the same way, but integrating yourself into a normal life, that becomes a process because uh, life is no longer the same. What was your experience like after you came back, like, Sure, sure. You know, what, before I go there, um, you know what Papaji said, you know, after I sent, have written to him about my experience, he said, nobody did anything for it. Right. You know, it's, it's just all grace, right? Nobody's doing anything. You know, we just have to remember that because otherwise we create this idea, you know, somebody is doing something, right? And, you know, it's very natural. I have seen, you know, people experience tremendous bliss in Papaji's presence. So did I, you know, mm. uh, you know, bliss that you don't really even know where you, you know, there's no awareness of body or anything, right? Mm. But Papaji was very adamant about pointing out that that is also going to pass, right? Mm. You know, every experience is going to pass. So, so really, you know, what remains is, the you know something that we can't put in words right what remains is the awareness of our true nature you know what remains is knowing that we are this you know that's what remains it's not you know there may be more blissful times like in my life also right now there may be times that are just very plain and simple you know mm -hmm. but that's not the point right the point is you know, there is the uh, there is the actual awareness of what well, this is who I am, right? This is who I am. You know, this is not. So integration. You know, when I first came from Papaji, which I honestly didn't quite, I didn't have a frame of reference. You know, so when I came back from Papaji, all I wanted to do is sit quietly. I didn't want mm -hmm. to do anything else. I spent long periods of time sitting in quiet meditation. And then, you know, life creeps in and you have to do some things. And I felt like I needed to get a job and I needed to make some money and I needed to, you know, do this and that. And that was at first extremely difficult. That was really honestly excruciating mm -hmm. because what I didn't understand, and this is why I speak about this with my students, you know, when they experience awakening, I tell them, you know, it takes time. Uh, you know, this is such a fundamental shift that everything has to rearrange itself. You know, we used to completely rely on the mind. Now we are not. Now it's everything is completely different. You know, mm -hmm. it takes time. It takes time. And so what I didn't realize fully at that time was how much time I needed to just sit quietly. You know, because that sitting quietly in presence, that's where that deeper transformation was going on, where you know, everything in my experience was getting informed more about this shift, about that change, right? And trying to, you know, like sometimes we are forced by circumstances to do something, but then soon after I realized this is silly. 
I'm not going to do that, you know, no matter what, I'm just going to trust this, you know, and not really try for anything because the trying was excruciating, you know, that wasn't really working because it wasn't really what was needed, you know, what was needed was the deeper time of resting presence. And as I really surrendered into that, you know, eventually I started to sit for satsang. And then once I started to sit for satsang, you know, first of all, I, I was married at the time and my husband was supporting us for a period of time, number one. Number two, then I started to sit for satsang and eventually my students really forced me to accept some money for programs. Mm. And, you know, like I trusted that, uh, that things are going to happen rather than trying to force mm. something that really wasn't working, which trying to be normal, you know, and that wasn't working, you know, at that moment, at that moment, it wasn't working, you know. Eventually, you know, I want to say, you know, once that deeper transformation is more, you know, true or more established or more finished, it's never finished really, you know, mm -hmm. but, but, but there's more stability in that experience, then of of course, now I can engage in normal life, you know, and I actually enjoy normal life within reason, you know, and I, I don't see problem, I, I don't have a problem with engaging in life or doing things or being, you know, social or doing this or doing that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that took some time, that took some time though, that took some time, so... Yeah, because, you know, um, you, you don't have to be like enlightened or have had ships, you know, sometimes when people are on like, you know, seeking truth or on a spiritual path, so to say, even people around often don't understand and it gets very difficult to navigate, uh, you know, everybody's opinions because you may have a family, parents, somebody or the other end. Sure, sure. It's a very difficult space to navigate. Um, you, you know, uh, you said like this uh, stillness, this thing just keeps evolving. And I know there are no words to describe it, but I'm still going to ask you. So what can, is there any way for you to tell us what is this evolution? Like, yes, you first recognize who your what your nature is. You are the awareness. The mind is still there. You tell me where like the mind is probably a distant thing when you need it, it is there to do your stuff, but what is this stillness that it, you know gets? Uh, what is the deepening that happens? Like maybe with some referential thing, it might just be helpful. I mean, because all we have, unfortunately, are words to express something which is so beyond words. Sure, sure, sure. You know, um, it is really hard to describe. So, yeah. um, you know. Um, you know, I would say, you know, I often, when I teach, I sometimes talk about what I call embodiment. An embodiment, not just after awakening, but embodiment, you know, whenever you know truth, whenever you know what's true, how does that knowing show up when you are engaged in life? Does it still show up or is it something different? Like when you sit quietly in meditation, right? And you know, blissful, beautiful, everything is fine, no problem, you know, love, mm. everything. And then you suddenly relate to somebody and nothing is okay, you know, and everything is a problem, right? Yeah. So, so how does that, you know, that, that's what I call embodiment. How does that knowing of the truth 
show up in your moment by moment life, you know? And, and the way I have experienced it is, you know, it really, all the tendencies of the past that still arise, they really need to be informed by that awakening, right? So they need to be, if tendencies of the past arise, they need to be recognized for what they are. And there needs to be a willingness to be present to them until they subside and we know the truth of it, which is presence. And so it's, you know, it's an embodiment process and it has been going on for a long time. And I don't know that it's ever going to end, mm -hmm. but what it does in my experience is that there is a deepening and a stability of that recognition that is not so easily, you know, taken or shaken by anything that is going on, right? Doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Doesn't matter what's going on in my life. Doesn't matter what's going on anywhere. You know, that recognition is, has deepened so much that even when past arises, even when tendencies arise, even when there are difficult situations or circumstances, even when, you know, um, challenges are there or, you know, people show up or, or different things happen, even then there's still the ability to really come from that recognition, right? And not really feel like this is something I know when I, you know, when I'm sitting quietly and this is my life, right? It just really is one, one thing, you know, it always comes back to this, you know, this is always the, this is always the priority. I know words are very difficult, you yes, know, I know, I, I understand this. this. <laughs> yes. And what is you know, the but reason? even, but even, let me just say one more thing, yeah, even sitting please. for satsang at the beginning, when I was sitting for programs, you know, there will be a visible change for me in my experience, the way I was when I was sitting for a program and the way I was when I wasn't sitting for a program. And now I don't experience a difference. You see, it doesn't matter if I'm doing the dishes, if I'm taking care of my cat or if I'm sitting for program, you know, it just doesn't make any difference, right? It's all the same, you know? So there's that deeper, deep, I've, I experience it as much deeper rest, you know, with, with everything, so. And what is the relationship with the body? Because, you know, with a, when a lot of people after the shift happens, because you, there is a huge distance from the idea of the physical body as well. Um, when sometimes the body, the physical body is ignored. I mean, you know, uh, there is the classic example of uh, Ramdas, you know, he speaks about like, you know, before he had his uh, heart attack, he said, you know, I, I was so distanced from that body. I think it was my guru's way of reminding me when the physical body needs to be tended to sometimes. Uh, so what is the relationship with the physical body at that point? I mean, is it like, are you, uh, you know, distant from it so much or is like that is, I mean, how do you perceive pain and some basic things like that? You know, I have been dealing with a chronic health condition for the last 15 years. So, you know, um, that is very immediate. That is a very immediate experience. There is no, there is no room for any separation or any avoidance mm. of anything. And, you know, in general, from the beginning, when I started teaching, you know, my focus was to really help people to be present to what is, 
And that all often involves the ability to notice sensation in your body, right? Mm. You know, back then when I first started teaching, I didn't even understand that connection. It's only through my, you know, own health challenges that I understood the deeper connection between the nervous system and the brain and the body and presence and ability to be here and how much noticing sensation in your body actually communicates with your nervous system and brain and how that in turn allows us to be more easily able to be here you know so often when i sit with students you know they experience they have experienced trauma in the past or they have experienced difficult things or their nervous systems are really you know a lot in fight or flight or or collapse or or overwhelm and there's a lot going on for them so when you say when you say to somebody like just be here you know like how do you do that what does that mean you know what i mean a lot of people can't really translate that so that translation a lot of the time goes through the body through the sensation through because when you notice sensation that's a very immediate connection or or communication with your brain and with your nervous system and when nervous system and brain are on board, are also able to be here, you see, rather than just mm. being the whatever, you know, overwhelm, collapse, fight or flight, you know, then everybody has a much greater ability to notice presence also, right? So in that sense, you know, for me personally, it was, you know, maybe at first in the beginning, you know, it was like the body was so far away in my experience mm. that it just seemed like, you know, what is the body, right? But then eventually, you know, especially when I, through the teaching, I realized, well, people need more help, you know, people need something more practical. And then my own health challenges, you know, I don't experience a separation from it, even though I don't experience it as the solid object as I used to experience it long ago in the past. Mm. I don't even remember it exactly, but I know that right now I experience it as spaciousness in which certain experiences arise, you know, certain sensations and certain experiences arise in the spaciousness, right? That's how I experience the body, but I don't experience a separation, you know? And I'm also, especially when, you know, when I'm teaching, I'm also very adamant that there is no so-called spiritual bypass, you know, like sometimes people want to just go to presence by avoiding what is. Mm. And I know that's going to, that's going to come and bite you, you know, at some point, that's not going to disappear. It's just going to arise again. So let's learn to be present to it, right? Instead of just, you know, you know, um, avoiding or suppressing, right? Because that doesn't work, you know, it doesn't work, so. So when you use the term being present to it, would it, um, would you mean like, you know, watching it, like uh, watching each and every, let's say that somebody's gone through trauma and I'm sitting there and this, you know, this emotional feeling of trauma can arise both emotionally or physically, uh, do you mean watch it, watch the sensation arise? You know, it's it's not so much watching it. I, I'm a little wary of the term mm-hmm. watching it. And the reason I am wary of it is that sometimes when people say the witness or watching it, there's still a separation, you see. 
So there is mm -hmm. still the one that is watching and then there is that which is being watched, which mm -hmm. is two and that's not our true nature, right? So I'm a little wary when I hear that, you know, like uh, watching, no, not watching, being mm -hmm. here, you know, when we are here, there is no separation, right? But specifically with trauma or with any challenging, challenging circumstances, you know, I really, uh, first of all, I teach people about what it is and what, how it happens and, and how, what, what are the symptoms and the residue of that in your nervous system and your experience in your brain. But then how to be with it, you know, we learn to really understand how the nervous system and brain work. You know, here we are in the body. So we want to know, you know, like with anything else, like when you drive a car, you want to understand how to do it, right? So you want to understand how the brain and nervous system work. And so there are certain things that you can do to help yourself to be present. When you say you have some emotion or some other things arising, Number one, keep your eyes open. Mm. A lot of people that are on the spiritual path and do meditation, they say, well, they have a habit of closing your eyes, mm. right? You, you close your eyes, you are shutting off a very important piece of information that your brain is receiving through your eyes, through the nerve that goes into your brainstem. If your brain is in overwhelm, it can't process what arises. Keep your eyes open, number one, right? Number two, become aware. And this is sensitive because if there's a lot of trauma, I don't advise people to right away jump into all the sensations, but become aware of your body, you see? Don't focus on the emotion. Don't focus on the thoughts. This can take you into, you know, story. They, mm. they can take you on a tangent, you know? Focus more what are the actual sensations of your body right now? Like the weight of your body where you are sitting, right? Can you notice the, your, your sit bones and the surface that you are sitting on? You know, can you notice like I'm leaning against the chair, you know? Can you notice where your body is touching the chair? Can you notice your feet on the ground, for example? And that, just doing that immediately you see, it takes the brain and the right. nervous system out of the path. It brings it into the present. And so immediately we are like, wow, we are here. You know, we are not in that past which has arisen. And see, the brain doesn't discriminate. So it cannot tell you this is the past. It's going to experience it as if it was happening right mm -hmm. now. So you have that flashback and you suddenly feel threatened and you feel you might get hurt or something might happen and I say, well, open your eyes, notice your body, notice this, you know, what is actually present right now. And instantaneously the brain has the ability to process it. And then you are here and you know, oh, wow, I'm here. I'm actually here. I'm not somewhere in that past, right? So that is again, the training that it needs, you know, we need the training. And then eventually we learn to recognize, oh yeah, we can actually just be here, you know, mm. we don't have to, you know, go with, you know, I mean, that's what I mean, being here or meeting it. I mean, come to the present, learn how to come to the present, you know, so. Mm. You know, one uh, very common problem, I think a lot of people on, uh, you know, the spiritual path, if you, 
uh, you know, come across is what is often called the dark night. You know, everyone starts, there is a huge momentum, there is happiness, there are probably even very nice moments in meditation. And then midway, the entire process feels stagnant. Uh, you know, it feels like, oh, it's getting nowhere or like, you know, uh, this seems there's no movement. There is like, you know, there's the lack of passion also, maybe the way one started off with, or in another case, like some people actually do advance on the path, but then there's still a stagnancy there. Like, you know, they don't see, they can't seem to cut through the final boundary or whatever you one would want to term it as so how does one tie through the through this the both spaces one for somebody who's on the journey and you know they start phasing out because like okay this is not going anywhere or you know because it seemed like something when it started and for somebody who actually has managed to cross a few hurdles but again there's a stagnancy that creeps in you know that because there are two things, you know, when you say the dark night, some mm. people really experience an actual, you know, deep, dark night yeah. before they really experience awakening. Yeah. And, you know, so that's one, so that's one, one area, but the other you are saying, you know, when people are feeling like this is not going anywhere, when you experience this is not going anywhere, that's actually resistance, right? Mm -hmm. That not going anywhere, that is the resistance to, you know, become more present, right? So this is basically the mind, the mind arises and it looks like there is no progress. It looks like you're not going anywhere. It looks like this is not going to happen. But that's like the almost the last bastion before you can really, you know, dive and experience presence, right? So don't be fooled by that, you know, don't be fooled by that because this is just, this is just the past, you know, the past arises and it puts up that resistance and it says, you know, well, you know, do you really want to go there? You know, we have been together for so long, you know, that's the mind, right? We have been doing this for, do you really want to let go of this? You know, do you really want to cross over? Are you sure you want to do that? And so we can't get fooled by that, you know? So, you know, if there are ways in which you can remind yourself, you know, by reading, by listening, by you know becoming engaged by talking to other people that are interested about this you know so that's one way and also just simply through your own awareness don't be discouraged you know because that is just the past the past arises strongly you know remember buddha when he was sitting under the body tree and you know after like so many different practices and nothing worked and he finally decided like i'm just going to sit here and as he was sitting there, you know, all these maras, all these temptations, all these tendencies of the mind would manifest in front of him and would want to take his attention, right? And he would say, well, I'm just sitting here. I'm not interested, right? So that's how we have to be. You know, we have to say, well, resistance, okay. You know, dark night, okay. Or, you know, loss of interest, okay. Let me just be here, you know, because mm. recognize it for what it is. This is just another form of the mind, you know. This is just the mind arising, right? We can't be fooled by it. Don't get discouraged, you know. 
This actually means the end is near. <laughs> when that arises, it actually means the end is near, you know? <laughs> the end is near. So. I have been sensing this end for a long time then, Nilamji. It's been like uh, bobbing up for a few years now. <laughs> this... what, what do you think stopped you from really crossing over? What do you think? If you just if you reflect on it, if you look, you know, what do you think stops you from crossing over? Technically, there seems to be nothing to stop. It just feels like, you know, I mean, sometimes it just feels like consciousness needs to play. So it's playing till it wants to. It's oh, I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> look, no, no, no. Look a little deeper. Like, what is it? You know, what is it that, because, because it really, you know, Papaji used to say, we need to decide for freedom. We need to decide for freedom. The moment you decide for it, it's so powerful, you know, consciously or not, we think, oh yeah, there's this. No, no, you have to decide for freedom. You have to internally decide this is it. You know, when I went to see Papaji, um, I had a ticket and I had a ticket to stay in India for a month. So I was there and after like a week or two, I realized this is completely silly, you know, like how can I decide that I'm staying here for a month? This is ridiculous, you know? I decided I'm going to stay here for as long as it takes. Mm. I'm not going to care, you know, about tickets, money, who knows what else, you know what I mean? I'm just going to stay here, right? That is the decision for freedom. So that is something. And for some reason, you know, for you, you are uh, like circling around that decision, you know, you are circling around it. You're still maybe trusting the mind, uh, believing that, oh, this is still going to give you, you know, this or that, that playtime, you know what I mean? That playtime is not real because that playtime only leads to another incarnation, you see. That's what that playtime leads to, right? So, so this is, you know, because when you awaken, that doesn't mean you can't play, you know, but first things first, right? First, we need to give, we need to give up everything else and say, I'm just giving up everything. I, I'm not interested in anything else. I'm just interested in this. And that kind of decision cuts true, you see, that kind of decision. So, so that's what I think. That's what I think, Nanjita. I think you need that decision. <laughs> it's a beautiful speaking to you. It is like one hour has just passed. But since um, this podcast is also for other people, what final word of advice to everybody else who's going to listen to it, something that you can say to them, would like to share with them? You know, I can say that presence, our true nature is already here. It's not going to happen in the future. It's something that is already present and available. And, you know, sometimes we have an easier time knowing that, sometimes a little more difficult time knowing that, but that's something that you can trust, you know, and if you trust that, when you trust that, once you trust that, 
that trust is going to take you to awakening, see? Because then when you trust, awakening is natural. That naturally happens, right? So I just want to encourage everybody to grow in that trust, you know, that our true nature. And also, even right now in this moment, you know, if you're just listening to my words and you think, oh, yeah, nice words, you know, whatever. <laughs> I encourage you to just check right now. You see, take a moment. And right now, and you and I and everybody, let's just check a, take a moment, right? And beautiful. Just direct your attention inward, you know, and... Um, Yeah, beautiful, and here we are, right? So, so I just encourage that for everybody. Lovely. You know, I'm going to have your uh, website description uh, there right in my description box so that if anyone wants to reach out to you, they know just where to get in touch with you. But thank you so much. I feel so honored and so blessed and grateful that uh, you know, I, I could get the time to speak to you, spend an hour with you. So thank you so much for doing this. Yes, thank you so much. I so enjoy meeting you. You're very beautiful and I'm so glad. And India, this is always, you know, my heart is always in, in India. So I'm just very glad for that. Yes, I well, appreciate you. And I completely, I completely get that, you know, but so thank you. Thank you so much for doing this because, you know, it's also like um, they say when you meet uh, the disciple of a teacher, it's like somewhere a part of them with the disciple. So for me, okay. it's also, it's also, you know, like, um, you know, my pronouns to Papaji as well here. So thank you so much.